Bible memory. Anyone have a memory verse ready to try out on us this morning? Jody. Amen. All right. Joyce. Amen. Mr. Spear. All right. Uh, did I see Erica? You didn't? Okay. All right, Cindy. I saw some other hands. Janie? Amen. All right. Stacy. Amen. All right. Anyone else? There was a bunch there today. All right, Jason, you got a lot of moving around the room today. Yeah. So if they look honest, go ahead and believe them. All right, page 33. Page 33, lesson number eight will be in Genesis 45. Genesis 45. So you remember we were finishing lesson seven with Judah and how that this this last test that required Judah to pledge his own life for Benjamin's life, which was the opposite of Judah from chapter thirty seven, which was more than willing to sell Joseph as a slave. And Judah it demonstrates that he is willing to stay behind and sacrifice himself. Uh, rather than have his father die of a broken heart. Anybody miss your candy? Everybody got one? All right. And so uh, we finished that story of how that this test was a proof. And that's how the chapter ends. He says, how can I go back to my father and my younger brother Benjamin not be with us? Um, because then I'll see what evil will happen to my father my father will just die of a broken heart it'll it'll kill him he won't he won't believe us um i i've already done this once and i don't want to do it again and that was i think the telltale sign that that's what joseph saw and realized these guys are changed and judah especially he's he's not the same judah that he was before so in chapter 45, verse 1, it says, Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him. He just couldn't hold it any longer. Before he'd run into his bedroom and cry, but this time he just couldn't even hold it. And he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. So he probably cried that in Egyptian, and all the Egyptians left. And there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. 
And so all the Egyptians leave are leaving the room, and then he's just telling them. And it says in verse 2, and he wept aloud. Of course, he's not shocked like they are. He, he's very much aware of who they are and what's going on. They're, they're not. And so it says in verse 2, and he wept aloud. And the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard, because he, he wept so loud, and it, it was just obvious. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And so now he's speaking Hebrew. Probably before this he was speaking Egyptian. And all of a sudden he says right into their own tongue and their own family language, I am Joseph. <clears throat> Doth my father yet live? And, uh, you know, if we were watching this on a screen, you'd see 11 guys standing there with their mouth hanging down to their ankles. Uh, what? You're who? Shock. Great big eyeballs. Trembling. Shaking. Absolutely in shock. And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. He's supposed to be dead. He was presumed dead and comes back to life. This is another type of Christ. They thought he was dead, but he wasn't. And they were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said unto his brethren, verse 4, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. I'm, I am that guy. And this is at least 20 years later now. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. You sold me, but God sent me. What you did was wrong, but what God allowed was for a good reason. That's the beauty of it all is that no matter how bad and evil people are, God's still in charge. Is it evil to sell your brother? Absolutely. What they did was evil. What they did was horrible. But guess what? God was doing it. Is God evil? Nope. You sold me, but God sent me. Those two S words are our, our main points today. You sold me, but God sent me. What you were doing was evil. Your intention was evil. We know that. That's water under the bridge. But what you were doing was actually what God was doing. He wasn't necessarily involved in doing it the way you guys did it. That wasn't his plan. But God needed me to be in Egypt for a reason. God needed me to be here to save the world from starvation. God was doing this on purpose. You did it kind of rough and mean and ugly and unkind and unloving. But God did it for a reason. So, on page 33, we see God wants to bring every one of us to the place where we remove all secondary causes and see him at work in our lives. It's not easy when you're dealing with human beings and, and human nature. But at some point in your life, you have to realize that no matter what humans do, God's still in charge. God allows things for a reason. He, he's the, he is the one that uses wicked man to orchestrate his will and to, and to as instruments, as tools in what he has to do. And so in spite of all that Joseph had been through, he knew God was working. He demonstrates this. Now, of course, they're standing there in shock. They, have, they, have, they, this, they never saw this coming. They're completely in shock. But he's had years to orchestrate this speech. 
he's already, when they came down the first time and after they left, he probably started to think about what I'm going to finally tell them. And so this was a very um, probably well thought out speech that he said and it just took five verses for him to say these important words to them. And he, he just told them. And basically what he's telling them without saying it is, I've forgiven you. And, and one of the great ways you can tell someone you've forgiven them is when you can share with them that God is using you. God used you, <laughs> you know, and uh, it's a blessing. I've learned. I know why God has allowed this to happen. And he knew that God was working, and he proves that. So when Joseph saw that Judah was a broken man, he could not refrain himself. He caused all others to go out, and he made himself known to his brothers. He explained to them, do not be troubled because you sold me into Egypt. God was working. You sold me, but God sent me. Joseph saw that it was really God who allowed him to be sold and who placed him in Potiphar's house. He saw God's hand in it all. And that's only something a Christian can understand. And and not all Christians get this, and not all Christians see this. They're they're carnal. They're they're carnal in their vision. But when you're walking with God, you realize now God's in charge. And what's happening is for his glory and for his purpose. Later today I'm going to preach it and I'll mention about a blind man in John chapter nine. Man was born blind in John chapter nine. And you're introduced to him as a grown man. He was born blind. He lived all his life blind. And the disciples said to Jesus, Lord, who who sinned? Was it him? Did he sin? Is that why he was born blind? Or was it his parents? Is that why, why he was born blind? Jesus said neither. It wasn't his parents' fault or his fault. He was born blind so that I could get glory. You mean he's, someone's going to live their whole life blind? Just, yeah. That's the way God works. And... Um, why Why did you waste 20 plus years of Joseph's life? He didn't waste it. We wouldn't have this beautiful story if it wasn't for what God allowed to happen. Joseph truly forgave his brothers for the sin they had committed against him. He did not live his life with bitterness in his heart. What a different Joseph you'd have had if he'd have just gotten more bitter and more bitter and more bitter. And I'm convinced that probably a lot of our aging and our, even our physical features are a result of bitterness more than anything else. I mean, we're all going to age. I'm not, don't get me wrong. But bitterness seems to age people more rapidly. You may ask, how was he able to forgive? The Lord enabled him to forgive because he saw by faith that God was in every circumstance. By faith, God's allowing it for a reason. And God understands and <clears throat> more than I understand. And even when the butler and baker were told what their dreams meant, and the butler was restored and the baker was, was hung and, and the butler forgot me. Back in chapter 43, he forgot me. Well, you know what? God still, God still allowed that to happen for a reason. God still allows all these things to happen for a reason, even if people forget you, whatever the case may be. So uh, the box, like the box says, by faith, see God in every circumstance of life. Here's an example. Keep your finger in Genesis 45, but here's an example. Go with me to Jonah. You know what Jonah's famous for, right? Jonah got swallowed by a whale. And uh, we get to Jonah, and I know it was in here earlier. I saw it earlier. Uh, There it is. Jonah. Jonah chapter 2. Now, if you know the story, Jonah chapter 1, Jonah runs from God. God wants him to preach in Nineveh. He does not want to go to Nineveh. Nineveh has been 
very wicked to his own people. Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh and preach to Nineveh. If you read the whole four chapters, you'll find out why. Because Jonah knows that God wants him to preach to the Ninevites because God wants to forgive the Ninevites. God wants to see them repent and have revival and be restored with him. And so Jonah doesn't want that to happen. Jonah wants God to destroy the Ninevites. He hates them because, uh, because of what they mean to his people, the, the, the Israelites and the Jews. And so Jonah doesn't want to do this. So he runs from God, hops on a ship, and goes the opposite direction. And of course, God allows a storm, and the storm is horrible. I mean, just tossing them around, and the sailors are absolutely. The, the sailors are saying the gods are angry with us. We, you know, this is this is an unusual storm. The gods are angry, and finally they find Jonah sleeping in the bottom of the ship, and they ask him what's going on, and, and he says it's me, it's my fault. I'm running from God, and this is about me. And uh, so he told them, you need to toss me overboard. You throw me overboard, and everything will be fine. Sure enough. They hesitated. They didn't want to. But finally, they took him and they tossed him in the ocean. And when they tossed him in the ocean, boom, there was peace and everything ceased uh, from the raging, it says in chapter 1, verse 15. And then in chapter 2, in chapter 2, verse 1, Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me, and out of the belly of hell cried I, Thou hearest my voice, for thou hast cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. Now hold on a second. Who threw him into the ocean? Who threw Jonah into the ocean? The sailors. But what did Jonah say? Verse 3, chapter 2. God cast me into the deep. See, so there's just one example where God used men, but Jonah knows who it really was. It was God that wanted him to get cast into the deep, to get swallowed by a huge fish, which we know was a whale, Jesus said. And and that was God's doing. And so it was God, not just the sailors. And somewhere along the line, I don't know how old jo- Joseph was, but somewhere back in Genesis... Somewhere, Joseph realized, it wasn't my brothers that did this. I mean, yeah, they did it, but it was really God that did this. God did this for a reason. You know what? You can sleep a lot better when you realize that. You can stop being angry and bitter and and frustrated and blah, 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 when you realize God's in charge. I, I, I know stuff's going on right now in our world. Every day you wake up, it's like, oh, great, now what? But the point is, is that God's in charge. God's in charge. If God wants to zap him with lightning, he will. God looks down at the most wicked person on earth, and he can just go like that if he wants. If, if he wants to, he will. God's in charge. And, and I can rest assured that all I'm supposed to do is what I'm supposed to do. I'm just supposed to do what he's given me to do and trust him. And if he allows this to happen or this to happen, I'm just supposed to do what he said to do. That's what I'm supposed to do. And Joseph was a person who said, you know what? God's allowed this for a purpose. And instead of just wasting my life being angry and frustrated and whining to people about my problems and going to the shrink and talking to him about everything I got going on that's wrong, I'm just going to realize that God's got a plan. So chapter, or page 34, back to Genesis 45. The principle of forgiveness. We're going to look at three principles today, three things, three points. Number one, the principle of forgiveness. Joseph knew what it meant to forgive. Do you? Do you know what it means to forgive? Because I think forgiveness eventually ends up being forgetness. 
you you actually can forget what happened because it just no longer matters. Joseph knew what it meant to forgive, do you? A great principle of forgiveness is found in Ephesians 4.32, and the Spears quoted it this morning. You are to forgive, it says at the end of that verse, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. It would be a lot easier on all of us if it just said forgive. But it didn't say, you know, it said forgive even as Ron Spear probably would do it. Or even as Dave Williams would forgive. Because I could probably justify a limit to my forgiveness if I used another man. But since it says even as God for Christ's sake. Okay, so how did God forgive me? Well, I deserve to go to hell. But because of Christ, I'm going to heaven. So my example is that kind of forgiveness. Well, now I've got a problem. I can't excuse myself from anybody's any any other forgiveness for anyone else. So you're to forgive him as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Yeah, but what happens if they murdered my family? Well, you know what? I'm not saying that would be easy. But I know for a fact that that has been forgiven. I read it a while ago, and I said it a few weeks ago, that when Paul walked into heaven, he was greeted by people who he helped send to heaven early, like Stephen, the martyr. Stephen was stoned to death, and Paul stood there consenting. And and when, when Paul walked into heaven, and we know he's in heaven, there was Stephen greeting him. Stephen said before he died, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't understand. Just like Jesus, he said, forgive them. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And I think Paul heard him say it. Lay not this sin to how can I how can I'm bashing his brains in with, with stones and he's asking God not to lay this sin to my charge. And and we know in Acts chapter nine that Jesus said, It's hard for you to kick against the bricks. I'll tell you what, forgiveness like that will win people to the Lord. Where forgiveness like that will cause people to and it'll just tear them up on the inside, and that's what that's the idea here is that we demonstrate Christ-like forgiveness. You may not think someone deserves forgiveness, but the truth is that none of us deserve to be forgiven. I love what an old preacher said years ago. Someone said to him, well, I can't forgive them. They're just wrong, and I know it, and I can't forgive them. And the preacher said, well, duh, duh. You never forgive someone for being right. Of course they're wrong. That's why forgiveness exists, because they're wrong, all right? So the truth is that none of us deserve to be forgiven. We have been forgiven for Christ's sake. We don't deserve that. It's only because Christ was willing to die on the cross for us and adopt us and to bring us in as joint heirs with him. We do not merit our forgiveness. We do not earn it. We do not pay for it. God can forgive us because Christ has paid our sin debt. There is a principle here that we are to forgive others because we have been forgiven by God ourselves. That's the principle here. What what does it mean to forgive? To forgive meant that Joseph was willing to treat his brothers as if they had never done anything wrong to him. Was willing to let it go. He was willing to live his life as if his brothers had never sinned against him. This is what it means to forgive someone. Hey guys, I know you are probably standing there completely full of guilt and shame and shock, but you need to understand something. Although none of us, including me, planned to live in Egypt for 20 years, God wanted it to happen. And I now recognize what God did. 
I now recognize what God was orchestrating in the last 20 years and so. That's that's when you can demonstrate. It doesn't matter, guys. Don't don't beat yourself up about it. It's okay. It's it's over. I believe that you're sorry. Principle of forgiveness. All right? Uh this is what it means to forgive. And then the principle put to practice. Christ talked with Peter about forgiveness in Matthew chapter 18. We can go there real quick and look at Matthew 18. Verse 21, then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Tell seven times. And uh, Jesus had been talking about forgiveness and talking about trespasses and talking about things. And um, and um, Peter, it, it, it sparked Peter's interest. In, and I'm sure Peter had someone in his life that he had a hard time forgiving. And uh, it could be that Peter thought seven times is a lot. And really, seven times is a lot. I mean, talking about mr spear that is a lot um no just kidding but seven you know seven times all right i'm i'll forgive you but after the seventh time you know that's that is way more than generous so jesus hears peter's question till seven times jesus said in verse 22 i say uh i said not until till seven times but until 70 times seven now those of us who are math geniuses we know that that's 490 times but do you really believe that Jesus was telling us and him that we need to keep track of the 490? No. Because in, in complete practicality, even keeping track of seven times would be hard. Jesus was simply just saying, no, 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 not seven. Seventy times. In other words, you're not going to keep track. I mean, who in here carries some kind of a record around with you of somebody no i mean the point is by the time you get to 490 you're not going to remember if it's 300 or 400 or 200 it's not you're not gonna, you're not gonna remember that and so it's not and, and of course nobody had a calculator or a smartphone in their pocket back then so it's not like you could easily calculate it or tabulate it the point is is that jesus is saying you don't keep count you don't you don't stop at seven um, the principle of forgiveness put to practice means that you never come to a place where you're unwilling to forgive. You are always to forgive. And it could be that these people have are not sorry. But you know what? Even if they're not sorry, God still meant it for a reason. God still has a purpose in mind. It's not like these people are out of God's power or out of God's control and they're just doing their own thing without God being able to stop them. Guess what? God can stop anybody. So get the picture. He doesn't stop everybody. So therefore, we're really angry and bitter at who? I have... I have talked with ladies who are bitter to this day because of a of a molestation that took place in their younger years I, I am not saying that's that's just a, a small thing and you shouldn't you shouldn't let it bother you obviously that's not a small thing but I'm convinced that these now grandmothers who are still carrying that around with them are not really bitter at 
just an individual. They're really bitter at God. They might never admit it or even realize it. But you know what? Even that was something that God allowed for a reason. I'm not excusing that. That individual who did that will pay and God will make sure they pay. And oh, by the way, if you're the victim and you're still carrying around that scar, I bet you the perpetrator carries it around too. Don't you ever think of that? It reminds me of what Matthew Henry said one time when he got robbed. He said, well, I have some things I'm going to be thankful for. First of all, they, they took my money, but they didn't take my life. And secondly, they took my money, but it wasn't much. And, and he just, he said, and, and, and thirdly, I'm thankful I was never robbed before. This is the first time. But he said, number four, and this is the one that really hits home. I'm thankful that it was me that got robbed and not me that did the robbing. You think it's bad being a victim? It's even worse when you have to live with knowing you're the one who did it. See, I think when you read the story of, of Judah and Joseph, do you, can, can you tell which one's more miserable? Which one's been agonizing for years and frustrated with life? It's Judah, not Joseph. Doesn't matter if Joseph's in prison. He's not nearly as frustrated with his life as Judah is. And so forgiveness, really, it frees two people. It frees you and them. It helps them to be able to get over what they've done. Um, we're always to forgive and, and recognize that we can even pity those who and what they've done to us. Joseph could have hated every day of his life with all the things that had happened to him. He could have been miserable. He could have, you know, went on Dr. Phil and wrote a book or something, uh, but he didn't. Um, he could have had, you know, a self-pity party, but he didn't, and God wouldn't have used him if he had. Uh, but he practiced the principle of forgiveness. He didn't just um, understand it, but he put it into practice and, and demonstrated it. And demonstrated it to them before they ever even realized who he was. He demonstrated it to them. It reminds me of my brother-in-law Dave, who's a missionary in Belarus, and how that he was raised Amish. And um, when his parents and his family left, they didn't really so much leave the Amish as the Amish kicked them out because they got saved and they started believing the truth and finding salvation by grace through faith and not of works and so the Amish finally just wanted nothing to do with them and and his own grandparents his parents' parents uh, wrote them right out of the inheritance and um, my father-in-law told me that that was the day he knew he was right when they said you don't get any inheritance you don't you lose everything he said, I knew, I, I knew in my heart, there was something in my heart that said, you're right if that's what they've got to use. And they did. I mean, it was, it was terrible, the shunning. Um, when Grandma passed away, I think it was, uh, of course, they heard about it. And uh, my, my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, my wife, and all, the, and all of her siblings, they, they, they got dressed, and they even wore the old Amish outfit to try to be as respectful as they can. But when they came, they were told they were not welcome to come to the front door. Finally, they let them come through the back door of the house, but were very much ugly towards them. And so they wouldn't speak to them, and they were just, you know, anathema and uh, the black sheep and whatever. Years later, um, 
in a different part of the same area, but in a different a different county, but not far away. Uh, Dave was sitting with a pastor in northeast Missouri, and the pastor was a volunteer fireman, small town. And the alarm went off, and the pastor said, hey, you want to go with me? It sounds like there's a fire. So they all got to the firehouse, threw on their fire outfits and, and jackets and helmets and gave Dave something to wear, put on his helmet and his jacket and everything, boots, and, and they and they jump into a fire truck, and away they go. And as they're going, they're getting closer and closer, and Dave's thinking, you know, I'm, I recognize this area. This looks familiar. And uh, finally they get to it, and it was an Amish farm, and it was his aunt's farm. It was his dad's sister's farm, and it's on fire. And so they spent several hours trying to put out the fire, and they finally were able to put it out. And they rescued most of the property, but they they lost, I think, the barn or something. And, of course, these Amish people are standing out there crying and scared, you know, out in front the front yard or whatever. And finally, when it's all done, Dave walks up to his aunt, who has no interest in talking to them, and pulls off his helmet and says, in perfect Amish, I'm very sorry, Aunt so-and-so. I'm Joe Schrock's son, David. What a shock. Uh, but that was a testimony to her that he's not hes not too proud or too big to help fight her fire. And there's all kinds of ways where God will give you opportunities to demonstrate forgiveness and to demonstrate that, and, and to even demonstrate to yourself that you have forgiven. And uh, this was a, a test for Joseph, you know, because Joseph could have said, well, I've forgiven him. I, now I can see what God's doing. But then when they showed up, that's when you, now it's really, now it's real. Now I have to forgive them. Can't let the old stories and the old memories come back to haunt me. Principle forgiveness, the principle put into practice, and the power to forgive. Well, how can you do this? This this is impossible. You're talking about impossible things. Well, yes, but you know what? Christians aren't supposed to live just in human nature. Christians are supposed to operate in a supernatural power, and that's the power through Christ. And so the power to forgive comes through Christ. Where does this power come from? It's not in your power. We find this power in the Lord Jesus Christ because he is able and he's the one that makes us able. If you're a Christian and you cannot forgive, the reason you cannot forgive is that you are not abiding in Christ. John chapter 15. John chapter 15. You can be saved but not following and abiding in Christ and allowing Christ to be your strength. If you're a Christian and cannot forgive, the reason you cannot forgive is that you're not abiding in Christ, giving him the place he deserves in your life. God's word teaches this in John chapter 15 and verse 1 and following. It says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husband. Every branch of me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me." And he uses the illustration of a vine and how that no matter how thick and how strong a branch is, if the vine is cut off from the branch, it is worthless. It is without any power. Verse 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, and here's the phrase, for without me, ye can do nothing. Then verse 10. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. He shall, 
he shall abide in, in my love, even as, as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is the commandment, that ye love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I have commanded you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you, that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. And it goes on to say, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. If you if you love one another, that proves that you have something supernatural. If they find out, and I keep picking on Mr. Spear today, so let's do it one more time. They find out that Mr. Spear goes to your church and you still go? That's amazing. I'm just kidding. Mr. Spear did horrible things and yet you forgive and you love him and you still attend church with him? That's amazing. Your spouse did horrible things to you, and yet you forgive, and instead of divorce, which is the easy road out, you love and forgive. Whoa, that's amazing. Those types of things are things that are supernatural. Because humanly speaking, all those things we could say, hey, I don't blame her, I don't blame him, man, if that had been me. And and yet, whoa, when they, when they you know, it's gossip flies quickly, in, especially in small towns, and they hear some terrible thing that happened. Oh, that's just, oh, but then they hear, but you know what? So-and-so forgave him for it. <gasps> what? What? How could, how could they do that? Are they crazy? No. It's through abiding in Christ. I'm reminded of Corey Timboom, who was um, a young woman, a young girl, during World War II, living in Germany, and uh, I think it was Germany, maybe it was not. What was it? Netherlands. And and Corey Timboom's father was a clockmaker. They decided to build a hiding place, a fake room, a, a, a fake wall which had actual which then covered a room to hide Jewish people who needed protection from the Germans. And so they did that. Well, word got out that they had this hiding place. And uh and so they eventually got arrested and dragged away from home and she never saw her, her elderly clockmaker father again uh, and you can read her life story she's written several books I think but um, in prison just and, and it was horrible I mean prison was horrible lice and fleas and and starvation and and and, a sh- and complete shame you know they had to be stripped down completely and walk across this room in front of all the guards and uh, just terrible treatment and yet God provided and protected them just before the war was over and just before they were released her 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 sister betsy was was so sick she finally died just before that was a bitterness to her because freedom was so close and betsy dies but of course betsy's in heaven well years later years later i mean decades later cory tamboom is giving her testimony she was very famous uh, and she was giving her testimony of what she went through and, and how that God gave her the strength and the peace and the endurance and what she went through. And, and, and that particular evening she was speaking and she was talking about forgiveness and how that God taught her over and over to forgive. And she has forgiven 
those guards that did those things to her and her and to her sister and how the the temptation to be bitter towards them it was just was being uh, erased in her, her heart so after the meeting and she gave her testimony she's standing there and people are crowding around and they're talking to her and, and one man started to walk towards her and when she saw him her heart just absolutely froze because he was one of the guards And he made his way towards her, just staring at her and said, Fraulein, I don't know if you were in the same prison I was in charge of, but in case you were, I just hope you can forgive me like you said you could. And she said it was only by the grace of God and by God's power that her arm went like this. And she held out her hand and she said, I forgive you. Never said anything, never, never said yeah, you were the guy. Yeah. Just, yeah. It's, it's a powerful story. And it and it's only, I mean, literally she said, my arm wouldn't move on my own. It was God that helped me move it up to shake hands with that man who was directly responsible for some of the most horrible things I've gone through in my life. And that's what it means to abide in Christ. Because this German had gotten saved. He, he was a Christian and he, he was li- truly asking for forgiveness, not knowing for sure. He didn't recognize her. But of course she remembered him. And so the point is, is that only Christians can do that. You can't buy that at the store for a million dollars. Only Christians can do that. It's the power and love to forgive only comes from the Lord Jesus. He's our source. He's the vine. We're the branches. And as Christians, we can have a spiritual relationship with God that enables us to deal with people in a Christ-like way. Christ has demonstrated to us what it truly means to be forgiven. And it's only in him that we find strength to forgive others. For without me, ye can do nothing, verse 5 says. And so I've, I've... just like you, I wrestle with this myself. But I have to remember, God's in charge. God is in charge. And he'll take care of it. So, the box says, we must be so full of Christ that he loves others through us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for opportunity to talk about this through an example in Joseph's life of forgiveness. Help us, Lord, to to be demonstrating it. Help us to be allowing you to work on us in this area. If necessary, bring to mind and to confrontation someone that we know would be a hard person to forgive so that we can either prove to ourselves that you are you are the one that's that we're abiding in or we can be proven that we, we haven't settled that issue and it needs to be taken care of. May that happen to us this week just to show us and teach us and help us to practice what we say we believe and help us to demonstrate the forgiveness that you gave by being able to forgive others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.